Hello and welcome to episode six of Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma-Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. On today's show, we're joined by ultramarathon man Dean Carnassus. Dean is a guy who has consistently pushed the physical and mental limits of endurance. He tells us how his ultra journey started as a drunken 30-mile run on his 30th birthday, and ever since then, he has taken on some seriously epic challenges. From running 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days to running 148 miles on a treadmill in 24 hours. He's done his fair share of triathlons too, and he gives us some advice for triathletes tackling their first ultras, as well as the importance of finding peace in running, especially at a time like this. Okay, here's our chat with Dean. Hello, Dean. So welcome to Fitter and Faster. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm weathering the, uh, the COVID storm. <laughs> And yeah, so you, trying to yeah, trying to stay in shape, trying to you know keep my fitness up, as ever, as all all of us are. For sure, yeah. So you're over in California, right? I am. I'm in a place called Marin County, which is just north of San Francisco. Nice, 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 nice. And so, how how have you been weathering the storm? How have you coped so far through the pandemic? Well, I've still been working out, and I think that that is critical. I think that um, with you know, with physical health, we have uh, mental health. Right. So that's one thing I, you know, it, my paradigm has shifted because, uh, you know, typically I have so many races scheduled that I'm kind of ramping up for. And now, you know, the <laughs> when, when the race season will come back is, is uncertain. So now I'm just focusing on um, overall fitness versus um, trying to, to peak for a specific event. Right. Okay. So what, and what does your training week look like normally? Um, you know, what's a typical week look like for you at the moment? Yeah. So, you know, in the past, a typical week for me was, uh, you know, when I was really ramping up for a big ultra marathon, it could be between, you know, a hundred to 200 mile weeks. So I'd get up uh, early in the morning and, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd like to run a marathon before breakfast. Wow. And then, come home and um, I do HIIT training throughout the course of the day. Okay. So I've got my office set up at standing level. I never sit down and I do um, sets of, the, I've got this uh, HIIT routine that's about 12 to 14 minutes of uh, push-ups, pull-ups, uh, chair dips, uh, sit-ups, and burpees. Okay. So I cycle, cycle through those throughout the day and then I, I like to double up. So in the afternoon, I'll typically do some like a tempo run, a shorter, shorter distance tempo run. And that's kind of what a, a typical week would look like when I'm really hitting it hard. <laughs> now, wow. now I kind of roll out of bed and, uh, and say, okay, I'm going to run, uh, you know, maybe for an hour. Sometimes I think about, you know, let's, let's run for an hour today. Let's keep your heart rate, you know, in that zone for over an hour. Or sometimes I just say, just, just go running, you know, find a trail and just, you know, go run just to kind of make sense of everything that's going on these days. Right. I know a lot of people, triathletes, runners alike, have found that the only kind of peace or quiet time they can get in the world right now is when they're on the trails or when they're out running. Would you, I'm guessing that's something that you can identify with. Oh, completely. And I think, you know, the, the, the interesting thing uh, is that there are more people running these days and cycling yeah. than ever before. So I think a lot of people are discovering that magic, you know, that, that we runners and triathletes have known for years. Yeah. And I think that's I think ultimately it's it's such a great thing for 
for our sport, you know, and, and for humanity in general. I think when people are, are physically fit, uh, they're just, let's face it, they're better people. I mean, they're, right. they're more humble, you know, they're more pleasant to be around. So, you know, I think that's a, one of the upsides of what, what we're going through. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like in Boulder here, you know, you can't go out on a trailhead much after 6, 7 a.m. without it being absolutely packed. Whereas, you know, a year ago, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you would have seen, you'd have seen a lot of people out, but never the sort of density of people that you see out there now, which is obviously great, like you say, but, um, yeah. No, that phenomena, I would, is absolutely happening globally. So, you know, it's happening here in Marin. I talked to, I was on the phone with a friend in Australia yesterday. It's happening in Australia. It's happening all over Europe. So more people are, are getting out. And I think, you know, when you're out on a trail, I mean, you know, you and Boulder and me here in Marin, we're kind of trail people. Yeah. But, you know, you, you appreciate the environment more. The, you know, the air you breathe matters a lot more. So you tend to be more environmentally uh, conscious. I think it's just it's a it's a good thing all the way around. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I saw a great quote from you. I was uh, obviously doing a little bit of reading and research around you this morning, yesterday over the weekend. And one of the one of the quotes I saw from you is running is about finding your inner peace. And uh, so obviously that when it when that comes to trail running, like and when that comes to ultra running, even with triathlon, um, never does that ring true, you know, more than than in these endurance sports where we're often alone for so long. What uh, talk to us a little bit about that quote and talk to us a little bit about finding inner peace through through running. What does that look like? You know, running um, is it's very meditative, and I know mm-hmm. that sounds cliche, but it's a time to really connect with our bodies. I think that. Um, you know, everyone probably listening to this has a relationship with their body, you know, right. their physical physicality. But, you know, I travel the world a lot and I travel our country a lot. And I'll tell you what, most people don't. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, most people, you know, they, they've, they've lost sense of, of their physical being. And I think that's that's part of who, you know, where we came from as humans is we, we always knew our bodies so intimately. Mm-hmm. And I think runners and triathletes, we have that feeling. Uh, the other thing I, I, I really believe is that, you know, I, I personally have a deep relationship with nature. So right. I'm, you know, I'm more comfortable on a trail for two hours than I am, you know, giving a talk in front of, you know, a keynote talk in front of thousands of people. Right. And I think that so many people have lost their connection to the natural world. I mean, most of the globe now, you know, especially with this pandemic, you know, they're, they're locked inside uh, man-made structures. And they get in a man-made car, you know, they drive on a man-made road, they, get to, they go to a man-made office. You know, we trail runners, we're, we're blessed in that, you know, we can get out and, you know, see a tree and see a squirrel and mm-hmm. breathe the air, you know. And so I think that um, these are part of, the, of, of what makes us human. And yes. I think that element has been lost by so many people. It's really tragic. Right. Yeah. And people, yeah, I think you then turn to other, you know, other sources of uh, contentment or, you know, you look for some form of happiness, whether, you know, whatever that might look like, uh, because you're stuck in this artificial world that doesn't involve nature or the, you know, the outdoor, the outdoor world, the outdoor environment. Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, something else that, uh, runners and triathletes uh, really get is that, you know, there, there's, there's a certain magic in, in misery, you know, the, the struggle, <laughs> the struggle is, is priceless. I mean, you know, we, you, you know, you, you never feel more alive than, you know, when you're hitting the wall, when you feel like you can't go on um, and it, it hurts and, you know, you, you're fighting to persist. 
those, those are magical moments that we long for. Um, most people try to avoid pain, you know, avoid discomfort. I think so many people are, are so comfortable, they're miserable. Yes. Where we, we welcome comfort and we, discomfort and we welcome that pain and that struggle. And that's what makes us feel so alive and complete. Yeah, you know, for a long time, I've believed this to be true, that I think the pain that you experience at, say, like mile 19 or mile 20 of an Ironman, right, uh, is, is actually something that's quite a privilege, you know. And at that point in a race of that duration, you know, and obviously you've raced for many, many more hours than just an Ironman length race. But, um, yeah, you have, you have some choices to make. And, you know, you're going to keep pushing. Are you going to give up? You're going to quit. Uh, which are relevant to everyday life and how we and how we choose to live life, I think. So yeah, you're right. That's a that's a privilege that not everybody gets to experience pushing pushing your body and your mind at that at that point. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, you know, the other thing is that you know it's been said that uh, you know running a marathon uh, builds character, but mm-hmm. I also think it it reveals character. Yes, yes. And I think that uh, runners and triathletes have a, a good sense of who they are. Because, yes. you know, to, to know, I always say to know thyself, you must push thyself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and until you're in a moment that you just described, you don't know how you're going to respond. I mean, you know, there's a saying that uh, without war, we don't know if we're, if we're heroes or cowards. Right. And when you're at mile 19 or 20 of, of that triathlon you find out very quickly (laughs) yeah you do yeah and sometimes i found sometimes some of those decisions are seemingly involuntary you know like do i want do i want this do i want to keep pushing have i have i already quit on some level you know so yeah you're very that's very true about character building or character revealing um and i yeah and the psychology of that is also super super interesting and obviously something that you've experienced a lot through yeah like i said you know ironman racing is anything from eight to 16 hours, obviously, but, um, some of the races you've done have involved 80 plus hours or, you know, in excess of that. So talk to us a little bit about how that works and the psychology of that and what keeps you going and what drives you. Yeah. I mean, I would never discount uh, an Ironman. I mean, an Ironman is, is the real deal. And, (laughs) you know, for me, I, you know, I still have on my life list to, to get to Kona. Yes, so that, we'll that's get to a goal. That, yeah. That, yeah, that's a goal I have. Uh, but you know, even even with a race of you know eight to sixteen hours, you kind of have a sense of the finish line. Mm-hmm. You know, even when when you start that swim, you kind of know okay, it's quantifiable. Like I, yep. I you know, it's going to be hell, but I think I can get there. You know, I hope I can get there. Yep. When you, you when you take off on an ultra marathon that's you know two hundred miles. Uh, it's almost like the finish line's amorphous. Uh, you, you know, you can't. It's so daunting and so overwhelming to have run, you know, 150 miles, and and just be completely spent and think I still have another 50 miles to go. Right. So I think with the ultra marathon, you know, I, I've learned more just to to be in the present moment of time, the here and now, mm-hmm. uh, not to think about you know where's the next aid station, you know, <laughs> how much further do I have to go. Yep. Uh, not to reflect on the past, but just try to be present and just take your next step to your best of your ability and your next step to your best of your ability. Don't think about anything else but your next step and just stay in that kind of um, almost zen-like state mm-hmm. for ex- extended periods. And, you know, that's how you kind of get through it. You know, I always think, people say, what do you think about when you're running these ultra marathons? And I, I say, 
that you know when you think you get yourself in trouble <laughs> don't right think. right right just run just run don't think just run <laughs> yeah that's good that's a good quote yeah <laughs> yeah so tell let's rewind a little bit and how did you how did you get here you know like i, I read some things about asia 11 you you did you embarked on some humongous hikes you climbed mount whitney um you know obviously you have a predisposition predisposition for endurance feats, right? Some pretty magnificent endurance feats. Was it something in you from a young age you remember always driving you or interesting you? Like what, what's, talk to us about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, my, my earliest childhood recollections were running home from kindergarten. So I, <laughs> I started, I started running when I was five years old. Um, you know, we, we had a, my sister was born, so I, I was the oldest of three child, children, and my mom was having a hard time getting me home from school. And so I just said, Mom, don't worry about it. I'll just, I'll just run. <laughs> and, it, you know, it was, it was safe to do back then. And right. yeah. I started running home from school, and I loved to run. I just found the freedom of it. And, um, you know, that it, it was just kind of how I related to the world is, is moving along at six miles an hour and seeing things and experiencing mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And yeah, that kind of um, adventurous wanderlust stuck with me. Uh, you know, I remember riding um, my bike 50 miles to my grandmother's house for my 12th birthday. Oh, wow. <laughs> cool. And yeah, well, I mean, I, I got, it was crazy what I did. And you know, I, I lied to my parents. I said I was going to just get ride down the street, you know, and eight hours later, my grandma calls and says, hey, <laughs> your son's <laughs> at my house. <laughs> so. But but then I stopped running when I was in high school. I you know I ran cross country mm-hmm. as a freshman in high school, and and then I thought you know running's boring. I'm wasting my time um, running, and so I didn't run. I continued. I I quit cont- con- you know completely from running, and then on my thirtieth birthday, I was I was in a bar in San Francisco, you know doing what most people do on their thirtieth birthdays. <laughs> I, was, I was getting very drunk with my friends. And at midnight, I told them I was going to leave, and they said, "What? What do you mean? It's you know, it's your 30th birthday. Let's have another round of tequila." And I said, "No, to celebrate my 30th birthday, I'm I'm going to run 30 miles." Right. And you know, and they looked at me and they said, "What? But you're not a runner. You're drunk." And I said, "Yeah, I am, but I'm still going to do it." So I literally walked out of a bar at midnight in San Francisco on my 30th birthday. I didn't even own running gear, but I had these, you know, these silk uh, jockey underwear on, this kind of boxer shorts that were comfortable. <laughs> so I, I took off my pants and I just started stumbling uh, off into the night heading south. There was a city called Half Moon Bay that was 30 miles away. And I just figured, run to Half Moon Bay. <laughs> and <laughs> I know it was crazy. And it got even crazier when, that, when the alcohol started wearing off. Ooh, and I thought, what, yeah. <laughs> what am I doing out here? <laughs> and but something felt right it just I just something on a very primitive level connected and I kept going and I ran all night and you know it wasn't pretty it was I'm calling it running but I mean, it, was, it was stumbling it was hobbling it was shuffling mm-hmm. but I made it 30 miles and and that night pretty much changed the course of my life right and you've been you've been running ever since yeah I, I never stopped yeah and so then you I guess that was a good uh, starter for getting into the ultras. And yeah, so tell us about your, how you got into ultra running and, and the racing and obviously having won Badwater and some of these, you know, marathon in the South Pole, um, the 50 states, you know, the 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. So yeah, how, how did some of these things come about? Because they are massive, massive feats of endurance. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I started running uh, after my 30th birthday. I became, you know, started running kind of casually, five right. or six miles a day, you know, thinking I was pretty badass. You know, I was a pretty fit <laughs> runner. And I was running up this steep hill in San Francisco, uh, running home one evening, and these two guys just blew past me. You know, and here I thought I was like, you know, the toughest guy around. And these guys were uh, like a, at a whole nother level. Okay. And thankfully, when they got to the top of the hill, they stopped and they started doing push-ups. And, and I, I, I was just so taken aback by them. I said, you know, are you guys training for something? And they said, yes. And I said, well, what? And they said, well, it's a 50-mile race. Uh-huh. And I said, what? Hold it. That's beyond, like, there's nothing beyond a marathon. What do you mean? That's, that's t- almost two marathons. And they said, no, there's a 50-mile race. And I said, you know, how many days is it? Where are the hotels? You know, where are the campgrounds along the way? And the guy's like, no, buddy. The, the gun goes off, and you start running, and you stop when you get to the finish line. And I just, I, I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of a human running 50 continuous miles. So <laughs> I, there was no internet back then. I went to the library, and I did some research, and I, I found out about this race. And I thought, I got, I got to try it. And I signed up, and I ran this 50-mile race. And it almost killed me. And I was in the kind of the medic tent, you know, the finisher's tent afterwards. And I saw those same two guys, and they were high-fiving each other, saying they qualified. And I'm like, uh, for, for what, the insane asylum? And they said, no, we qualified <laughs> for the Western States 100-mile endurance run. Oh. And I'm like, hold it. What did you, 100 miles? Wait, like, hold it. To tell me about this thing. He's like, well, it starts at the base of this ski resort in Lake Tahoe. And, you know, outside of Sacramento, there's a town called Auburn. You, you run, it's point to point, 100 miles. I'm like, but those are mountains. He's like, yeah, buddy, you run through the mountains. I'm like, well, there, and there are like rivers along the way. He's like, yeah, you cross rivers. And it just sounded so outrageous to me. I, <laughs> I thought, I, 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 I'm going to go to my grave wondering about this race, and I've got to try it. So I signed up for the Western States 100-mile endurance run and somehow uh, finished that. And that kind of set my my path into ultramarathoning. Wow. And to, you know, this kind of attitude of never stop exploring. So after the Western States, I ran this race called the Badwater Ultramarathon. Yep. Yeah, 135 miles across Death Valley in the middle of summer. Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah. I've seen some documentaries about that that just look terrifying. But at the same time, kind of appealing. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, if you were out there, I mean, I, I go out there and I open the car door and I think I, I can barely walk five feet. How am I going to run 135 miles? It's, it's unbelievable the conditions out there, how savage it is. Right. But, you know, then after that, I wanted to go further and there was really nothing further back then. But there was these uh, these 12-person, 200-mile relay races. And so I signed up for one of those just as one person, <laughs> oh boy, solo, and and somehow ran 200 miles nonstop. And then I thought, wow, that was that was you know an adventure. What else could you do? And I thought, I heard a, a guy at the Boston Marathon. He was giving a talk, and he said, well, I'm a, I'm a member of the 50 state club. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, I ran a marathon in every state of the union in the U.S. I didn't even know every state had a marathon, but I, I was fascinated by it. I said, how long did it take you? And he said, well, I've been working on this project about nine years. And I thought, I might not even be alive in nine years. <laughs> so I decided I'd try to run 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. And yeah, somehow pulled that one off. Whoa. And that was back in 2006, correct? 2006. And you know, the interesting thing about that endeavor is that my, the final marathon I ran was the fastest of all. 
No So the way. final marathon was, yeah, it was New York City. And I ran it in um, three hours and, and 30 seconds. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, it was, it was amazing how my body grew stronger over time. I thought, you know, it's going to go one of two ways. You're either going to break down <laughs> and, yes. and never yes, and yes, not yes. finish or you might get stronger. And, and yeah. Yeah, because like the, tri- the triathlete in me is now – thinking of so many questions like how do you how do you fuel all of that how do you stay injury free you know like there are so many things that you have to obviously face when you're doing something like that 50 you know 50 marathons 50 marathons over five years would be bad enough but 50 marathons in in 50 days and the logistics of 50 states so yeah what's your what's your kind of go-to fueling for a marathon what's your go-to fueling for your training what's any any nuggets there yeah, well, I, you know, I've gotten back to more of a, a, a simpler approach. And, you know, one thing that I found works very well for me is our nut butters. So I've experienced with a, a, a number of different nut butters, from hazelnut butter to sesame seed uh, butter to, um, you know, almond butter, obviously. And I find that those sustain me for much longer than, uh, you know, than gels, Right. You know, you can only eat so many gel packs before, you, you know, you just can't eat another one. So yeah. nut butters work really well for me. Uh, you know, plain coconut water mm-hmm. is, is really great for hydration. It just seems right to me, right. Uh, the amount of calories, um, the amount of electrolytes. And honestly, I can't drink coconut water, plain coconut water, when I'm not, you know, sweating and uh, in a race. It just doesn't right. – It's doesn't taste very appealing, but when you're hot and in a race, it tastes incredible. So yes. those are kind of two two go tos that have you know I've found a way toward the top of my nutrition list, you know, as over the years. Got it. And then uh, injury prevention. How how do you do you get injured? Do you get hurt when you're running that much? And how do you what what is your basic kind of self self care self maintenance look like? Well, I almost feel guilty saying this, but I've never had an injury. No. So I don't. I don't know what it's like. Whoa. I've had friends. I've had friends, you know, go through rehab and all that, and it looks. It looks pretty horrible. So. <laughs> so all but, those miles, you know, and you've never had an injury. That's. No. Well, I've lost toenails. You know, I mean, that's that's about as bad as it's, it's wow. been. Wow. Wow, you're one lucky dude. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I have really good biomechanics. Right. Like yeah. I don't. You I don't, must. You, know, you must. For, but that it was just natural. So I never, you know, I never like I do everything that's in vogue now. Like I've always been a midfoot striker. Mm-hmm. I've always taken short, you know, quick steps. I've always, um, you know, accentuated my arm swing when I run. Mm-hmm. All these things I just did naturally before, you know, they people said, well, this is what you should do to stay injury free. Right. And you know the the biomechanics. I mean, that's that's hereditary. You don't, you know, you can't train for biomechanics. No. There's a saying. Uh, the best thing you can do as a long distance runner is to choose your parents well. For sure, I couldn't agree. <laughs> I think triathletes would agree with you there for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, that you've done a few triathlons. You've uh, you've raced Alcatraz, you've raced Wildflower, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned Kona earlier. So uh, talk to us about your experience of triathlon and um, and how you find that compared to ultra running. Well, it's it's a it's a totally different mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of crossover between ultra marathoners and triathletes. Not a whole lot. I, I wouldn't say it's, uh, that there is no crossover cause I certainly know a, a number of, uh, guys and women that have done multiple Ironmen that are really elite ultra marathoners. Yeah. But I think that 
you know, I, I met Dave Scott years ago in a gym of all things. <laughs> and I was just so impressed with his overall fitness. And yes. I know, I mean, I hope you, you probably know who Dave Scott is. He lives in Boulder. Yeah. yeah, I know Dave. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, younger triathletes still know of Dave Scott, but I mean, oh, he's they a do. legend. Yeah. Okay. I mean, six times, you know, uh, world champion, Ironman world champion. And I just thought he was, he was in such incredible overall shape and he put so much effort in just to being the best animal he could be. Mm-hmm. And that meant, that meant just not training. That meant, you know, diet and nutrition. It meant cross training. It meant, you know, good quality sleep. Yeah. You know, all these things Dave was really maximizing at, at you know, very, before these things became very popular, you know, and very in vogue. Yeah. So he really influenced me a lot. And, you know, one thing he, he encouraged me to do was speed work. And before I thought, you know, just LSD, you're an ultra marathoner, just long, slow distance. Mm-hmm. And Dave said, no, you know, you really should be doing interval training. And I said, well, I'm, I'm running hundreds of miles. You know, why do, why do I need to improve my VO2 max or, you know, my lactate threshold? And he's like, these things matter uh, regardless. And, and it sunk in. I mean, you know, obviously he was, he was completing an Ironman in, you know, eight, eight hours, you know, eight and a half hours. Uh, and he said those things mattered. So I thought they probably do. And that's when I started incorporating, um, a lot of speed work and cross training into my, uh, my overall routine. Gotcha. And the, obviously the hit work too. The hit work work is primarily body, it's primarily body work. Okay. But now um, I've actually I've set up a really nice uh, in-home gym, so I've actually gotten some weights from um, Bowflex, and they're they're fantastic. They're adjustable, so it's just one you know it's two sets of, of dumbbells, so I can actually lift now as well. Yeah, I think adjustable dumbbells kind of saved everybody through the through the height of the lockdown. I think they were. I think uh, it's going to continue too. I think it's a trend that a lot of people. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to going back into a gym anytime right, soon. Right, right, for sure. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, Kona. Let's talk. Let's talk Kona. So obviously, that's an iconic race in the world of triathlon, and you mentioned Dave Scott, who's obviously a legend of of that race and a legend in in the Ironman world. Uh, is is Kona qualification something that you'd really really like to uh, to concentrate on or do in the in the future? Obviously, not this year, but um, in years to come. It absolutely, and it's big, absolutely with without a doubt. And, it, you know, it's kind of been on my list forever. And now with this lockdown, I'm like, all right, elevate it <laughs> to a higher position on your, on your list. I mean, I should be able to look at anyone and say, I'm an Ironman. And I'm kind <laughs> of embarrassed that I, you know, that I, I can't right now. So, you know, do you know um, Bob Babbitt? Yes. Yep. Oh, so, yeah. So Bob's been a longtime friend of mine. And um, he's always said, you got to do Kona. You got to do Kona. And, you know, just the celebration of it all. Uh, yes. So Kona yep. is on my list. And. I mean, it, when I do it right now, it's kind of up to God, right? <laughs> you know, when, when, when there's a cure for what's going on, uh, it's yeah. going to be a priority of mine. Yeah. And I think obviously this year is the first year that the race has never happened in 40 plus years. So next year's race will be, uh, I think, extra special, you know. So, yeah. So what would, what would your training like look, sorry, what would your training look like for uh, a race like Kona? Obviously, you've got the run pretty much dialed, but um, swimming and biking. Talk to us about your swimming and biking. You know, I'd, I'd have to work on my swimming technique. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a—I grew up uh, in a place called San Clemente, which is uh, a beach town in Southern California. Yeah. So I, I grew up uh, surfing. I was a junior lifeguard. So I'm used to open ocean swimming, you know, rough right. water swimming. Yep. 
Uh, I would just have to work a bit on my technique. Um, cycling, I've always, I've always been a strong cyclist. So I think, you know, when you have an engine, you have an engine, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it's just toning the skills, yeah. Yeah, and I've always had pretty good leg strength, so my legs have always been um, much more developed than, than most, uh, most runners. So I, I don't think I'd have a problem with this. Again, it would just be technique, you know, relearning the aero bars and all the, you know, all the things a triathlete does. Yep. And, and spending some money, let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of tri- I try to... You're throwing some money at technology or, or getting someone to help, you know, help me out with that. But, um, yeah, I, I'd start, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't put in that many, uh, miles on the bike. I would continue, you know, working on my, um, uh, on my engine. Right. Okay. And what are your go to, you talk, you mentioned technology there. What are your go-to gadgets when you're training, but yeah, when you're, whether it's running, whether it's some of the, the, uh, at home work you're doing, what's, what are your go-to gadgets? Yeah, so I, I mentioned I, I have uh, the Bowflex adjustable dumbbells. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen these or you might know exactly what I'm talking about, but basically it's just two dumbbells and you can adjust the weight by just twisting a knob on the side. So you don't have to have a lot of, uh, a lot of um, free weights around. Okay. Uh, those have been huge. Um, you know, obviously uh, Fitbit is a big part of my training. So I use uh, what's called an Ionic, a Fitbit Ionic, and you know, it's got a GPS, it's got a heart rate monitor. Um, they now have uh, heat mapping. So I yes. can look at, you know, look more closely at my heart rate, my speed, um, those sort of things. So that's been a, an integral part of my training and, and as well as um, sleep. So I, I monitor my sleep quality. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is big, right? Yeah. So this, the sleep tracking uh, on those, on the Fitbits, I've used them a little bit, but um yeah, so that it monitors the different sleep cycles you go through, correct? And then gives you a quality score. It does, yep. Yeah. So, and, and is that something that you then gauge your next day's training around? Or, you know, how do you interpret some of that data? Yeah, it used to be. I mean, now, nowadays it's just, um, you know, because I'm not really ramping up my training. It's just to make sure I'm not overtraining in any way. And right. it has, you know, honestly, it hasn't been, it hasn't even been close. You know, yeah. I did, um, I went, there was a, a 100K that was scheduled, uh, kind of an iconic 100K here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, obviously it got canceled, but I just decided I would just go run it self-supported. Okay. And that kind of, it kind of tweaked me a bit because I, I, it was hard to get water out there. Yeah. And, it, you know, I noticed when you throw your electrolytes out of balance, it really, <laughs> it, hurts your, it hurts your sleep quality. Yeah. No yeah, shit, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes out of the window. Yeah. Um, so for triathletes listening to this, obviously our, our audience is predominantly triathletes. Uh, and obviously the time, the time in the world we're in right now, a lot of people are looking for new adventures. So you mentioned self-supported adventures. I know, I know there's a lot of triathletes who are looking for new adventures. We don't have any races. Uh, and a lot of people kind of stumbling or falling into ultra running. So what would be your advice to people who are just getting into this, this whole world, which is, like you said, there's some crossover with triathlon, but it's kind of a different world. Uh, what would be your advice to people just, just stepping up to ultra running, to self-supported adventures, to this, this, whole, this whole new world? What would be your advice? You know, I would say um, preparation is mm-hmm. kind of more important, especially when you're doing something like a you know self-supported um, run, uh, an ultra-distance run. So you might be going on a, you might be visiting a new area or a new trail. So making sure that you kind of know um, what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. And you know, I, I've had so many stories of people 
saying, oh, I almost died out there, you know, be it I got so dehydrated or it was so hot and I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have sun cover on or anything like that. Yeah. So, or, or here in the Bay Area, people said, I almost froze to death. I can't believe how cold it is <laughs> running along the coastline in that fog. So kind of, kind of prepare to know what you're getting yourself into. And yep. then I would say, uh, you know, I always laugh at when I go to ra- shorter du- duration races, you know, like half marathons and things when people have you know, hydration belts on that are just filled with, you know, hundreds of gel packs, it looks like. I'm mm-hmm. thinking you, you don't need that many calories for a half marathon. But now I would say uh, it would be the time to do, to do just that, to kind of, you know, stuff your pack with more stuff than you'll probably need just in case. Because yep. it is kind of the Wild West out there right now. I mean, I, I think you'd feel real guilty about calling a, a, a rescue party to come, to come get you because, you know, you're, you're bonking somewhere. So just be, yeah. be prepared when you go into it. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I would say is, you know, me personally, I've kind of toned things down. I mean, I think that, you know, it, it's a it's a pandemic. It's not a productivity contest. I, <laughs> I just don't think now is the time to be, you know, chest pounding. I mean, go do yeah. these things. I think yeah. it's great to do these things. It's good for, you know, it's, it's advisable all the way around. But just, you know, keep it kind of low key just now. I mean, it's it, it we are in a big crisis. And I know that some of us, uh, it's less apparent because we kind of live in our, our little isolated shell. But it is, yeah. it's really, it's really tragic what's going on. I mean, very, very tragic. It's, it's, you know, it's unprecedented. Yes, yes, no, that's a very, very valid point. Yeah, I think we can forget when we're in our own, in our own bubbles that that's, yeah, that is the case for sure. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of us want it to be. You know, we don't want what's going on, and we tend to think it's not happening. We don't want it to be happening. And, you know, we can just <laughs> will it not to happen, but it, it's still very much happening. We're right in the midst of it. Yeah. And looks like it's going to be happening for some months yet too, right? So it's not like there's an easy fix or an easy cure or any, any easy way out at this point. It's an ultra marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, that's, that's what a lot of people said at the very start. It's like, this, this is like starting a race where you don't know where the finish line is. Uh, and I think that speaks to the point that I brought up earlier of just living in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not getting ahead, not, not thinking when is the vaccine coming and, you know, uh, I can't wait for that day, but just taking it one step at a time. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And you've, you've got some other projects that you're working on, right? So you're working on some book projects. You've obviously published a, a few books already, but you, you've got other things to, to keep you occupied right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm a. I just finished my fifth book, so I've written um, four previous books, and yep. a few of them have been New York Times bestsellers, which has surprised me because I, you know, I just wanted to write a book when I first wrote Ultra Marathon Man, my first book, mm-hmm. just as just as uh, I want to do an Iron Man, like it's a challenge, like I, I can do a book. Yep. And it, it was tough. <laughs> I think I earned the title of Ultra Marathon Man. You know, writing to me doesn't come naturally. It's you know, it's one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration. Yep. So I just, you know, it, so much of, of writing is, is, is just grunt work, kind of like training. Yes. Um, so, you know, just finishing the last sentence of my final book, that's always kind of a gratifying feeling. Yes, for sure. Yeah. It's like, it's like training in that you've got to show up every day and keep doing it regardless of what it looks like. Yeah. And it never gets any easier. <laughs> <laughs> the good writing always comes from a place of pain. <laughs> well, there's a metaphor for life. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, Dean, thank you very much for joining us today. We are stoked to have you on the show and thank you for your insights and uh, we appreciate it for sure. Thank you so much. Well, I look forward to seeing you in Kona one day. How's that? Yes, we look forward to that too. Good luck. Thank you, Dean, for joining us and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it. It helps us out and it helps others like you find it. We'll be back in two weeks time with episode seven. But until then, happy training.